We'd like to read responsibly the entire chapter for all 13 verses. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Allow me to begin reading verse number 1, and I'll read the, read the succeeding odd-numbered verses. Would you please read with me in unison verses 2 and the succeeding even-numbered verses through verse number 12. And as always, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, reading responsively. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and said to Motheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, having tempted you, and, your, and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit of God, we need your power, we need your unction this morning. Lord, we need your truth to be instilled in our hearts, Lord, as you instilled these truths in the hearts of the Thessalonican church some nearly 2,000 years ago. Lord, do it again, we pray. Speak to our hearts as we're preaching thy word. Lord, bless the junior church downstairs as well. May it be said by all those good to be in the preaching of the word of God this morning. Well, thank you for what you're going to do in advance. We pray this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. And take your Bibles and turn again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. For the third week in a row, we've been in the book of Thessalonians in a five-week series of messages entitled, It's Still Real. And just as the church of Thessalonica was a real church, of course, and it was a church, and we preached the first message two weeks ago in regards to our first of five message series. The church still works. The church worked in Thessalonica in uh, 2021, even though we've been through this pandemic, this plandemic, this call it whatever type of demic you want to call it, this crazy worldwide thing that we've been through. Uh, the church still works in 2021. The Bible says Jesus said the gates of hell should not prevail against his church. And all God's people said amen to that. And then last week we looked at chapter 2, chapter 3 this morning obviously, chapter 4, Lord willing, next Sunday, and chapter 5, two weeks out. 
Love is still greater. We talked about what love involves, what true love involves. Love involves gospel preaching. It involves gentle, gentle persuading, a godly persisting, a guard of protecting, and a glorious proclaiming, of course. But this morning, our key verse is verse number. We have one key verse, one key word, really two words. But uh, notice verse number eight in the middle of the chapter. Verse number eight. For now we live, Paul said. But notice the condition word, if, if, a conditional clause there. If ye stand fast in the Lord, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. The Bible's clear about that. The church still matters, the church still works. Love is the greatest of all, 1 Corinthians 13. Love still works. Love is greater than faith, hope, and, but the greatest of these is charity or love, the Bible tells us. I want you to notice that here we get to this third part of what still matters this morning. And it matters that we stand, that we stand fast to the Lord. In fact, look at the two parallel verses, verses 2 and verse 13, verse number 2. And sent Timotheus, Paul said, and our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to get it, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. This church needed to stand. This church needed to be established. Paul was there for three weeks in Acts chapter 17 and planted this church. Go to the last verse of the chapter, verse 13. To the end, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The church at Thessalonica was a church that stood for Christ. It stood for truth. And uh, God gives us a warning. I've lived in Torrington, Connecticut, all my 37, last 37 years of my life. And uh, there are several buildings in Torrington. That many of you, if you're new to Torrington or haven't been here in the last 10, 20, 30 years, there are now houses and places of, uh, of uh, community centers and so forth that used to be church buildings. There used to be several churches that preached the gospel in Torrington, Connecticut, that are now no longer in existence. And Jesus warns us in Acts chapter, rather Revelation chapter 2 of the church at Ephesus, God says that they, they turned lukewarm and the Lord says, or else he likens churches to a candlestick. He says, I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick. It's vital and matters that the Harvest Baptist Church stand for Christ. It's vital, it's vital that it makes a difference in what we stand on. Doctrine, as we're going to find out, it makes a difference. What it's vital to your life and to my life to be on the right side. Today is D-Day. And tonight, Lord willing, we'll touch on it more in detail tonight in regards to what happened. But there were 57 million, I believe it was, Germans on the wrong side of history. There were 57, there were, there were uh, tens of millions of Japanese uh, followed their Hirohito instead of the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. They were on the wrong side of history. And truth, in the end, truth always prevails. And I'm telling you this morning, in regards to this, this conditional clause of verse 8, our text verse, one more time. Paul said to these, this great church at Thessalonica, this church that, was, that worked, this church that had the patience of hope and the work of faith and labor of love, this church that was, had love at its heart, as its heartbeat. Paul said, for now ye live, or we live, if ye stand fast 
in the Lord. I want to deal with the subject of standing for truth this morning, standing for the right. In the end, truth always wins. What are you standing on this morning? What did, truth matters in your life to stand and to be counted. We can stand one day and fall the next day if we're not careful. There's that conditional clause. And so I want to give you a breakdown of the, the small chapter in three divisions, of course, verses 1 to 5 this morning as we begin this morning. It's final number 1, verse number 1, to stand or to stick with God's men. Notice with me, please, verse number 3, or verse number 1 of chapter 3. Wherefore, when we, Paul's speaking here, of course, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and he's no doubt referring to Timothy and Silvanus or Silas as well, but particularly Timothy, as we're going to read about in the next verse. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Now, quick geography, lesson in history. If we go to Acts 17, we, we started there two weeks ago. We see the birth of the church of Thessalonica in three weeks Paul went from there to Berea, about 40 miles to the west, and he planted a church in Berea. And then he, from there, he went about 80 miles south to what we know of today. These two cities, that of Athens and Thessalonica, are still there today. There's number one and number two largest cities in Greece today, 2,000 years later. But he went down to Athens. And I want you to notice that Paul says it's important, if you're going to stand, first of all, this morning, I want to encourage you to, you need to stick with God's men. Those that are number one, letter A on our worksheet, those that are sent. Notice verse number two. And sent Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow, fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, to strengthen you, to make you stand, and to comfort you concerning your faith. I want you to understand that it's in your best interest as an individual, and let me personalize this this morning, it's in your best interest to stick with the men of God. It's in your best interest to stick with, with chosen vessels. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 11, and he gave, that's God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is particularly, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the body of Christ, Ephesians goes on to say. God gave, gave some gifted men to the church, starting off in the first century to the, the apostles, then later on some prophets and some missionaries, some evangelists, and then some pastors and teachers. And uh, he gave them, they're counted, they're, they're, they're sent men. In fact, in Acts 13, verse 2, I believe it's going to be on the screen here if it's not all there already, Acts 13, 2. And uh, go ahead and go to the next slide, if you would, please. We're still working on, I'm working on the bugs on these. Uh, I got a clicker, I got a clicker, but I can't, I can't figure out, 815 servers, I couldn't figure out how to use it, so uh, I'll get there eventually here. It's got four or five buttons, I'm not sure which button to press, so it's like, and I can't see it, never mind. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. It has nothing to do with anything, I'm just, I'm in new territory here, in regards to these PowerPoint presentations. But Acts 13.2, and as they ministered to the Lord, this is a church at Jerusalem, and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Paul, Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. I don't want to get sensational. I sure don't want to put myself in the category of Barnabas and Saul. That's Saul the Apostle, Paul the, Paul the Apostle. But I remember when God called me in 1976 in Bible college in Waterloo, Wisconsin. I've told the story many times in the Fellowship Baptist Church parking lot on a Sunday night service. How God called me and led me to come to 
New England. And uh, I uh, fell in love with New England. The only time I'd ever been here was with the bar owners when I was a 15-year-old boy. And we came out on a two-week vacation with the tavern owners. And then the Lord got a hold of my heart, and as they say, the rest is history. But God called me. I surrendered to go to the mission field. The mission field for this Ohio boy and this Wisconsin boy at the time was New England. And God brought me to the place of his choosing. God-called men are God-chosen men. And uh, it's in your best interest to stay with God-chosen men. The pastors, I always joke with, as I caught Paul's eyes here for a second, I always joke with Paul. Paul was a coach for 22 years of hockey. Many of you know that, of course. So I, sometimes I call him coach and kind of just in jest and so forth. But a mentor, a, a, a captain, a coach, an encourager. And uh, that's what a pastor is to be as well. And we need pastors in our lives. We looked at Hebrews 13, 7 and 17 last week, of course. But uh, obey them that have the, overseer, the rule over you or the overseership over you, knowing that they watch for your souls, that they may give an account, that they may do it with joy. It's in your best interest to listen to God-called men. If we were to, God-called men are also God-chosen men. And I don't want to get too uh, deep with you, drill down too deep, but I'll just say this, that uh, we're chosen of God. We're elect. God chose us before Samuel, the classic example, Jeremiah, Isaiah, John the Baptist, to name four specifically. The Bible says that they were chosen from their mother's womb for a purpose. And uh, God also called by name. We read about Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make thee wise in the salvation. Timothy, Paul was a chosen vessel unto the Lord. What am I trying to tell you? If I'm trying to tell you if you stand, if you're going to stand, you stay standing, you need to get lined up, you need to stick with God's men. You need to stick with those that are sent, those that are called, God called, God chosen. They're out to help you, not, not to hurt you. They're out to not uh, just uh, step on your toes, but to tell you what's right and reprove, exhort with all long suffering. So verses 1 and 2, Paul talked about himself. In verse 1, he talks about Timothy. In verse number 2, verse number 3, notice... Let her be on our worksheet here. Not only stick with God's men, those that are sent, but secondly, stay near those that are strong. Verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. The church of Thessalonica was going through great affliction, of course. And for yourselves know that we are also appointed thereunto, or that is, i.e., tribulation or affliction. For verily, or of a certainty, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. Stick with those that are strong in the Lord. Stick with those men that are, that are strong in the faith. I love the illustration. I've given it many times, but I went to college. My boss for three years was a guy named Tom Stout. I love Tom's last name. Tom was one of the three. We had like 60 guys on our football team, and Tom was one of the three married guys on our football team. Tom's name matched his physique. He was stout. He went both ways on the football team. He was married and had four kids. Somehow he juggled work, uh, full-time college. I think he graduated some cum laude or summa cum laude. And uh, marriage and four kids and uh, a full-time job in college and football. He managed it all. But I remember working in Waukesha, Wisconsin, Brother Dave. I told you the story. And uh, my brother Dave was just there a couple of weeks ago for a business trip. You know, I was working in Waukesha at a big mental institute, and it was, it was big, and it was mental for sure. They had several hundred people in there, and uh, they had two guards around the clock, and the Pinkerton security, Tom Stout was my boss. 
just so happened I was working on working that day with Tom Stout. It was a Saturday morning, and a drunk walked into the nurses' lounge. And uh, one guy was on roving patrol, and one guy was sat at the front desk with all the monitors, TV monitors, and so forth. And the only weapons that we had were walkie-talkies, so we could talk to each other. And uh, so I get this walkie-talkie, Marty. You need to head down to the to the nurses' lounge. There's a drunk in there. You need to escort him out of the building. I'm 140 pounds sopping wet back in those days here. I'm a 19-year-old kid. And I walked down, I was shaking in my boots. I walked down, I've told the story many times, but it was true. I was nervous as all get out. I said, oh boy. All I had going for me was a uniform and a radio, a walkie-talkie. And I walk in this nurse's lounge, and sure enough, here's this drunk in this nurse's lounge with several nurses kind of off to the side. And he was a big man. He was twice my age and so forth. And I was nervous. But I wasn't that nervous because I knew I had a strong man 50 yards down the hallway in Tom Stout that was bigger than any man in the building. And if I needed help, it was like, Tom, help, come quick. And, but uh, the, he melted like a little puppy dog, a little, little girl, and walked out with me. And uh, I was thanking God. I still thank God for that whole event when I think about it, how God took care of me. But I was with a strong man, and uh, it gave me strength. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 5, a parallel verses to this verses 3 and 4, that, but thou watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of the ministry. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so if you want to stand in the evil day, learn to, learn to stand in, with strong men, be with those that have endured some tough times, some times of affliction. But then let her see, verse number five, for this cause, when I should no longer forbear, Paul said, I sent to know your, of your faith. He sent Timothy back to, from Athens back to Thessalonica. Lest by some means the tempter having tempted you and our labor be in vain. They were new Christians. They, were, they, were, they got on fire for the Lord. In three weeks the church was built. They had a great love. They were a work of faith and labor of love. But they were going through a time of tribulation and affliction. And Paul said... If, you, if you're going to stand up, you need to stay standing rather and be unmovable, always bounding in the work of the Lord, then there, you need to be with those that are submissive, those that are servants of the Lord. James 4, 7 says it this way, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I have to be a little careful here, but I want you to know, who, who are you more afraid of? Who are you more fearful of, COVID or Christ? We all stand before Christ in one day and give an account of the things done in our body. We need to submit ourselves to, the, to, the, to God. We need to resist the devil, the Bible says, the, the tempter. I want you to know it's not on your worksheet, but let me just give you, Satan desires to deceive you. He wants to deceive you. We see that in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, where, where he, he said, Yea, hath God said. He wants you to question God's word. He wants to deceive you. He wants to discourage you. Don't raise your hand, please. But how many here have ever been discouraged? <laughs> All of us, hands go up, of course. He's the discourager of the brethren. He's the, he's the, the uh, accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12 tells us. He wants to deceive you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to devour you like a lion, roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. If he could, he'd kill you, John chapter 10, verse 10. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We have the Holy Spirit of God. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
And we need to be around strong men that, that uh, endure affliction. We need to be around men that are called, that are called of God and those that are submissive to the, and fearful of standing before a holy God and not, uh, and they can stand up and resist the devil and he will flee from you. But then verses six to eight, the second truth in regards to, we're asked and addressing the question on standing, taking a stand for, it says still matters, or taking a stand still matters rather. Taking a stand matters, we need to stand for God's word. Verse number six. But now when Timotheus came unto you, came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. I want you to notice that it says that word good tidings is the same word that we get our word gospel from. And so when we stand with God's word, we need to stand, first of all, for the true gospel. The gospel once delivered to the saints. We looked at Galatians 1, 6 through 9. It's not on the, work, the, the screen behind us, of course, but we looked at it last week. If any man preach any other gospel in you, then if you have received, let him be accursed. There's only one gospel, but there's many other gospels. There's a gospel that says you're saved by faith, but then you've got to keep it by works. That's a false gospel. There's a gospel that says that you've got to be saved, receive Christ as Savior, you're going to be baptized. This is a Baptist church, but that's a false gospel. There's a gospel that says, well, you need to live, live the golden rule all your life, and then you'll go to heaven. That's a false gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. And we put our faith and trust in that gospel and that gospel alone. We need to stand on God's word. Are you saved this morning? Say amen. amen. And so we stand for the gospel of Christ. Ephesians 1.13 says it this way, In whom we also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel or the good news or the good tidings as we see in our text, verse 6. This good news, good tidings, this gospel, this gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I, I came very close to being a Pentecostal in my early days. I went to an Assembly of God church, and I didn't know any better. I was just a kid. And, uh, and one, 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 they were all about tongues and about uh, signs and miracles and so forth. And then there's this Baptist church, and everybody knows which way I ended up falling finally, which way I ended up going, of course. But uh, uh, the, the many in the Pentecostal movement talk about the full gospel, and they say, if you don't have tongues, there's some that believe. And I can think of the church right now in my mind that I could name by name. And I've been there a thousand times, literally. And some of you now know what I'm talking about. But I've been there literally a thousand plus times and uh, to this certain church. And uh, it's our old building, in case you're wondering. But they, they believe that if you don't have the manifestation of the Spirit, that you're not saved. I want you to know that I'm saved by the, the, the Holy Spirit of God. I've got the, God, the true gospel of Christ, and I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of God into the day of redemption. And so uh, we need to stand. If we're going to stand, we need to stand on God's word. We need to stand, first of all, on the gospel. But then secondly, we need to stand with the godly. Now look at verse 6b. Paul said that they had good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see them. Paul was explaining the love that he had and that they, they, in turn the Thessalonican church had for him and for them, i.e. Timothy as well. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you 
in all our tribulation, or pardon me, all of our affliction and distress by your faith. And so we need to stand, not only stand with God's word, but we need to stand with the godly. I want you to turn, it's not on the worksheet, but I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians, one page in your Bible probably, chapter 2. And I had to be careful, I had to slow down to make sure that you don't misunderstand my point here. Look at chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. There's that phrase again. Stand fast. In what? Stand fast and hold the traditions. Not traditions, I mean, just insert can get you in a lot of trouble. There's a lot of people that believe in traditions that are going to send them to hell. Don't misunderstand me. Harvest Baptist Church has traditions. Marty Schott has traditions. But not all tradition is bad. Some tradition is good. Let me give you one for example. Uh, we're a particular church that reads scriptures by responsive reading. We've been doing that for 30-some years every Sunday morning. That's part of our tradition. We sing the old songs of the hymns of the faith. That's part of our tradition. We have a regular, we have, we have pews, we have, we have a pulpit. We have, a, I still, for the most part, even though I hate them, I still wear these suits and ties, I, but I hate them. I just want you to know that. And uh, we have our tradition. Not all tradition is, is bad. Some tradition is okay. In fact, some of our tradition is good, and here's why. Which ye have been taught, whether by word, by our word of mouth, that is, or our epistle, or letter, or the word of God. You see, when Paul wrote these books of Thessalonians, for example, was, we believe the first book, some believe it was the first or second book ever written in the New Testament. Now the New Testament was even written. So again, I don't think I give you point B yet. Point B is stand with the godly. There was a day when I didn't know what to believe because I didn't know the Bible. But uh, I had mentors in my life, preachers in my life, godly men in my life that told me what was true, what was yay, yay, and what was nay, nay, what was false and what was true. And I had to be dependent upon them. You say, well, that's not scripture. We shouldn't follow man. Hey, we all know what the famous word of all two and three-year-olds is, why? It's always why. And mom and dad have the same answer. Because I told you so, that's why. That's the answer. Because mom and dad knows best. Father knows best. Mom knows best. There's, when, when we don't know the word of God, when we're babes in Christ, we've got to place our trust. And I told you I needed to be careful here, but we need to place our trust and faith in godly men and the godly women to direct us in right ways. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul was a veteran. He was a, he was a veteran that suffered persecution and been through the trial, and now he's trying to encourage these Thessalonians said, if I did it, you can do it too by the grace of God. If God, God be in you, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And so stand on God's word. Stand, on, stand for this gospel. Stand for the godly. Stand with the godly, rather. But verse number eight, it's back to our text verse. One more time. For now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. Now there's a lot there to unpack in that one verse, but notice thirdly, stand firmly grounded in doctrine. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3:16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17 says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word of God is there to stabilize your life, to ground you in doctrine. It's interesting that 
First Thessalonians deals with almost all the major doctrines of the Bible, starting with the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in, found several times in this book of Thessalonica. The doctrine of sin is the teaching, the truth of sin. Nothing's a sin in America anymore. It's all, it's all an addiction. It's all a disease. It's all an aberration. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's a choice. Nothing's sin anymore, but the Bible defines the doctrine of sin. It defines the doctrine of the church, the called out assembly, the local New Testament church. And most of all, in this book of First Thessalonians, in all five chapters, as we're going to find out next week and uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, and two Sundays out, deals with the doctrine of end times, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so standing firm on doctrine, grounded in, do- grounded in doctrine, is so vital Jesus said in John 7, 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be a God or whether I speak of myself. And uh, that's John 17, 7, 17, rather. Shall know the doctrine. I was in a certain church. It was a Baptist church, I'll tattle. And I don't want to say what the, the heresy I heard from the pulpit, but I heard the preacher preach. First time I'd ever been in a church, he preached some heresy. And uh, I don't, you know, he obviously thought he was preaching the truth, but he basically said that only preachers can lead people to the Lord. That's not true. You ever heard of Aquila and Priscilla? You ever heard of several people in the New Testament that led people to the Lord that weren't evangelists or preachers or pastors, but they brought people to Christ. Philip found, or Andrew found his Philip, I believe it was, and brought him to Christ and so forth. Uh, so we have to be careful we have to be careful that we don't, we're grounded in the word of truth. John 16, 13, one more verse. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever thing he shall hear, that he, that he shall speak, he will show you things to come. I, I believe, by the way, I, and we'll be preaching on the next two Lord, Sundays, Lord willing, but the coming of the Lord is, is not trite when I say this. And it's, you've heard it so many times, but it's nearer than ever before. It's around the corner. I really believe it's coming soon. Soon and very soon we're going to see the king. I, I, I see that. He's going to show us things to come. I, I think we're getting a glimpse into the end time days before, before the rapture of the church. And so we see in this, this Taking a stand for truth that is vital to stand for truth. We need to stand with God's men. We need to stay, stand with God's word. But thirdly, verses 9 to 13. Notice thirdly, if we're going to stand and it's vital that we stand, it's vital that we stick with the truth. We need to stay on God's path. Four things about God's pathway. First of all, God's pathway, verse number 9, is the pathway of praise. Notice what Paul says. We see this verbiage several times in this book of 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians, rather. For what thanks can we offer to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Notice for what thanks. Notice that this pathway of praise, Psalm 100 and verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving into his courts of praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. The pathway of praise. I don't know about you, but it's so easy to become complainy and to be pessimistic and to be down in the mouth and downhearted and discouraged. It's so easy. It doesn't take any effort at all to get discouraged. It takes effort. It takes work to be praiseful. 
I know you probably never had a pity party for yourself, but once in a while, three times in my life, I've had a pity party for myself. I don't know, you can multiply it by, by an exponential number. But every once in a while, we feel pity for ourselves. We got it so rough. You know, um, the car broke down. You know, we, we got an unexpected bill. Uh, this happens, that happens, whatever it is. Uh, we get, uh, so, so, something goes wrong, we wake up with a headache or the work, doesn't go, the work day doesn't go well or whatever, what have you. And we say, oh, woe is me. Hey, folks, we're saved. <laughs> we're children of God. We're going to heaven when we die. This is, no pun intended, this is as bad as it gets right now for our eternity right now in our three score and ten. I think we can endure. And Paul said, I thank God. Paul is going to lose his head, literally. But, and he probably had a premonition, he knew it, but he was praiseful. It's amazing what praising can do. Three, three, three variants of praise, by the way, and we see it all in verse number nine. He praised God for other standing Christians. I praise God for many of you that are always faithful, and I'm looking at some ladies right now here, and I'm trying to get your eyes here. I want to get all your ladies' eyes, but some of you ladies have been faithful. I can start naming names, and, uh, and uh, you, you're, you, 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 you're always praising the Lord, always on the upbeat, and men, some men like that too. But uh, Paul praised God for standing Christians. He praised God directly. Verse number nine says, render to God thanks and praise to his name, of course, and uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then thirdly, he praised God for the church house. And First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians, one page over in chapter, uh, chapter one, I don't have it on the notes here, but I don't have it on your the screen, rather, but chapter one, verse four, so that we ourselves glory in you, Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Thank God for other church houses, other churches across the land and across in Connecticut and around the world that are preaching the gospel of Christ. And we, we, we can praise God for we're not in this alone. Sometimes we think we're the only ones. And uh, I was complaining to a I'm confessing now. I was complaining to a pastor friend of mine in, uh, of some tough times that we've been having in uh, uh, this last year and a half at Harvest Baptist Church. And then I realized, it, it, I had a Holy Spirit thought, a big dummy, he's got a more struggling church than we've got. He's had, he's had struggles too. And I corrected myself and almost made a stream. And I realized I was being negative when I was talking to him. And uh, he's going, he too is going through hard times and and uh, thank God for other churches that are standing strong in tough days and other Christians that are standing strong. So we need to, if we're going to st- keep standing, we need to stand on the, stand the pathway of praise. But secondly, we need to stand the pathway of prayer, verse number 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that ye might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your, in, in your faith. Paul was a man of prayer. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The greatest weapon we have as a church body is in the power of prayer. No prayer, no power. No little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, when they prayed, the place was shaken. Oh, how we need to pray. I confess again here, and I'm, I confess too much in regards to my own humanity, but here goes again for the hundredth time, thousandth time. Um, we've always 
I was at the car dealership yesterday, as a matter of fact, picking up our car, and the bill was pretty expensive, to be honest with you. And uh, I was complaining to the, to the proprietor about uh, uh, overhead and how much things cost now, as if he didn't know. And uh, we're, all, we're all there and so forth. But I was reminded again, and I'm reminded over and over again, God always takes care of us. My God shall supply all his needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, I always step to the side. I won't step to the side here and, and say, do you see me going without food? <laughs> do anybody here going without food? I don't think so. We all got houses to live in. God takes care of us. God provides for us. But um, we have the access of prayer, asking it shall be given unto you, seeking you shall find, knocking it shall be opened unto you. So stay on the pathway of prayer. Stay on the pathway of prayer. Thirdly, Verses 12 and 13, stay on the pathway of purity. Verse 13, for time's sake, I want to rush to verse, last verses here in a moment, but verse 13a, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. The next chapter, chapters 4, verses 1 to 5, notice verse 1 real quickly. Furthermore, when we beseech you, we're begging you, we're imploring you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as he received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you abound more and more. Verse number three, for time's sake. For this is the will of God. Young person, you want to know what the will of God is for your life? Here it is. Even your sanctification, that ye would abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And it goes on, verse five and six and the first part of this chapter, which we'll touch on, Lord willing, next week. But the pathway of purity, good things happen to faithful people. Good things happen to people that realize that the Bible says, be holy for I'm holy. But then I want you to notice the last pathway to be on. Stay on it. You can be on these pathways and you can leave them if you're not careful. You can leave the pathway of praise. You can leave the pathway of prayer. You can leave the pathway of purity if you're not careful. If, remember. But then fourthly, the latter, last part of verse 13, the last half of the chapter, last half of the verse, rather. In holiness before God, even our Father, notice, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Notice the pathway of promise in his coming. The pathway of promise in his coming. If we were to turn to 1 John chapter 2, it's not on the screen, but 1 John 3, 3 should be on the screen. But 1 John 2, 28 says that we should not little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But First John 3, 3, and every child, that, man that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. When we know that the Lord's coming is near, I end with this illustration. Don't turn me off. I'm almost done here. I'm thinking of a particular Christian. He's in my mind. I can't name him his name, of course. I wouldn't do that. He's a devout Christian. He served the, God, served the Lord God with all of his heart and mind and soul for, as far as I know, 20, maybe 30 years of his time. This Connecticut here, as a matter of fact, never been a member of our church, but I know this brother. I've known, known this brother for 38 years or thereabouts. And something happened about 30 years ago now, 25 years ago. After serving the Lord for 20 years, the Bible says, if we live... For we now live, currently, presently, we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Something happened in his life. I don't know what it is. I believe he's a brother in Christ. But he 
fell away from the things of God. His family is now falling away from the things of God. I've lost track of him. I haven't seen or talked to him in at least 10, 15 years probably. And he fell by the proverbial wayside. The church is still working. Love is still the greatest. But we need to take a stand. It's vital that you take a stand because one day it is appointed a man wants to die, but after this, a judgment. So I want you to know that it's vital that you stick with God's men. It's vital that you stick with God's word. It's vital that you stay on God's path. What I'm trying to tell you is taking a stand, Paul says, to this church that started off with a great fire and great, uh, great gusto, if I could use that phrase. Paul said to them, for now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. Keep on standing. Work for the night is coming when no man can work. Now's the time to stand for Christ. Now's the time to stay on the word of God. Stay with God's people, God's men. Now's the time to uh, stay on God's path, his pathway of praise, his pathway of prayer, his pathway of purity, and his pathway of his soon coming of, of, in Christ in, in the coming clouds. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I've been preaching about your second coming now for almost 40 years now. Lord, I remember when I was a teenager and I first heard the truth and it sunk in. I never thought I'd be a preacher because I thought you'd come back in the 70s. Then I thought you'd come back in the 80s. Then I thought you'd come back in the 90s. And then the new millennium happened. Then the teens happened. And Lord, here we are in 2021. I can't believe it. And you still haven't come back. Lord, but... You're still, you've still promised your coming is near. Your coming is nearer than ever before. Help us not default now. Help us to keep on standing. Lord, we live. Lord, I'd rather live for something than die for nothing. Help us to stand for what's right. Help us to stand on Christ's solid rock. Lord Jesus, you're coming again. Help us to be found faithful, we pray. Bless in our moments of invitation, I ask. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 125 in the hymn book it is. 125 as we stand together. Marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing.